Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. I'm really excited this week because we have a new sponsor on the show, Zendium Toothpaste. I was so excited when I discovered it and I cannot wait to tell you about it. So Zendium Toothpaste is different because it actually strengthens your mouth's natural defences. So... In our mouth, our greatest defense system is actually the oral microbiome. You know, just like our gut microbiome, which is a delicate ecosystem of good and bad bacteria. So Zendium uses natural enzymes and proteins to boost the good bacteria in the mouth, which is why it's so different, working like prebiotic, which protects your mouth naturally and reduces the bad bacteria responsible for dental problems. They have a kids and an adult range, both free from SLS, and Zendium are kindly offering 20% off for Motherkind listeners. So all you need to do is head to zendium.co.uk, that's zendium.co.uk, and pop Motherkind in at the checkout and you will get 20% off. So thank you so much to Zendium for the offer and for supporting me to create a weekly show like this one. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, your host Zoe Blasky. I hope you are really well this week and managing to stay positive and present in what continues to be an incredibly challenging time. I hope this episode will bring you some inspiration, some deep things to think about and also some really actionable ideas that you can take away to try and feel more fully alive and present in your life. My guest is Alexi Panos. She has inspired hundreds of thousands of people towards a life of personal fulfillment through her various businesses and books. She has co-created a transformational methodology called The Bridge, which is making waves all over the world for its revolutionary new take on self-development. In 2005, she co-founded the non-profit organisation EPIC, which brilliantly stands for Everyday People Initiating Change, which brings safe, clean drinking water to those in need in parts of the developing world. She was also named as one of Origins Magazine's Top 100 Creatives Changing the World, and she is a mum of three under three. What a bio. (laughs) So I've followed her for years. She is an incredible woman. She is so warm, wise, compassionate, humble, I think you'll agree. And I loved this conversation. I've been looking forward for a long time to chatting to Alexi. And we talk about how to be present with the mundanity of motherhood, how for her, motherhood was the ultimate death of her ego, and what she's had to heal to become fully present with her family. She describes amazingly the conditioning that she was set up with around achievement and success and how she's healing that so that she feels 
just as satisfied at home changing the nappies as she does being on a stage speaking to thousands of other women. We talk about changing those generational patterns and how she's actually doing that, which I really appreciated hearing. We also talk about somatics. If you're a regular listener to the podcast, you will know that healing somatically, which is essentially healing through our bodies, knowing that we store a lot of our experiences and our trauma, not in our minds, but in our bodies. So if we really want to transform, we have to connect with our body. And Alexi does a brilliant job of explaining the three different stages of what that looks like. So if you're interested in that, please, please, please listen to that. Take some notes because I think it is absolutely vital work. And it's such a brilliant way that she breaks it down for us. We also talk about her relationship and many of you might know or you might not know Alexia's married to Preston Smiles who is also a very, very successful and influential personal development coach and she talks about what it's like being in a conscious marriage and how it's different than she thought it might be and I think she brings a lot of humility and reality so I really enjoy listening to that and right at the end of the episode we talk about our old friend guilt and I think what Alexi shares on guilt and motherhood guilt is profound so please hang on right to the end to hear that I think you're going to love this episode if you did please pop over to Instagram I say this every week I love hearing from you I'm always in my DMs well as much as I can be within my time boundaries you know me and I also love hearing what you thought of the episode so please do get in touch and if you feel moved to share it with someone that you love So here it is. I hope you really enjoy it. Welcome to the podcast, Alexi. I've been following you. We were just saying before, I've been following you for a long time. And actually, I think the way that I discovered you was that my husband, Guy, was following Preston. Ah. got to look at this couple they're so cool and they're doing all this stuff and then you know most conversations I do quite a lot of prep for research for I don't have to do anything for you because (laughs) (laughs) I've read your your books I've listened to your (laughs) podcast (laughs) without without fangirling you too hard so I'm really excited to chat about self-development or emergent wisdom as you call it and I want to get into that and motherhood and this intersection So I thought maybe a good place to start is just how you're doing right now. Like you had three under three, you had your twins in February. We also have a crazy world situation going on. So as you sit here in your new home in this moment, how are you doing? It's interesting. I think this year for myself, like so many people, so much came up and it was honestly, perfect timing to have twins. What I realized with my first child, Kingston, was motherhood in general and the birth of each child means the death to the woman that you were prior to that and kind of the entry point of this new archetype. With the twins, I was kind of prepping for it because I never had any experience with twins. And now I was going to have three very young kids all at the same time. So I was prepping for this identity shift, this death to the old me, the welcoming and blossoming in, and also the uncomfortability of the new me as she emerges. And then COVID hit. And it was this perfect redirection for the entire world, in my opinion, where we really all got to focus in on what matters to us? Where are we headed? Does it feel aligned? Is it true to our values? And that for me felt really good in a lot of ways. 
to really check in and to intentionally design this next chapter of my life now being a mom of three, but to do it alongside the world. So it's interesting because for a lot of people, that gray area can be really uncomfortable and be really anxiety producing, but I'm actually really loving the gray. Like I had a call with my coach yesterday and he's like, how are you feeling? Where are you at? I'm like, I'm loving this like unknown space that I'm in because I did take a pretty massive break from my business having the twins. And the idea was to come back and do kind of the same stuff, but I'm really leaning into the question mark. I'm really leaning into this next iteration of my work and my purpose and my passion and what it looks like and how I relate to it because I'm just really clear on what matters most to me and where my energy gets to go. And I'm going to be so fierce in protecting that. I love that you talk about this. And this is something that I wanted to unpick with you because you, like me, I think we're both quite type A. You know, I'm very driven. I'm very successful at everything that I do. And I'm wondering, I know you put family first because I've read that and I've seen that's how you live. How do you hold that tension between that part of you that so wants to show up and do more and serve more and the part of you that actually has this value, which is that family comes first? Where do you put that? tension? Is it a tension for you? And how do you unpack that for yourself? That's such a great question. And I feel like I'm still learning. But one thing that helps me with that gap is recognizing that a big part, not all of it, but a big part of my desire to be successful and that drive and that motivating force that has been a part of my identity for my entire life I'm really recognizing how rooted in the ego it is. Not that it's bad, not that I'm like, oh, I want to be serving in order to be somebody, but my ego feels on purpose when I'm in service. It feels on purpose. It feels celebrated. It feels amazing. It feels like, yes, we're doing it, Lex. This is what you're here to do. And it's still this future version of myself, this vision of what I'm here to do and who I'm here to be, that if it lives in the future or in the past, it's ego. And that's what I'm recognizing is the now moment, like who I am in the now moment, whether I'm on stage talking to thousands of women or I'm at home changing diapers, the now moment is all I have and it's all that matters. So it's really recognizing that even though my values and my drive are very altruistic and very much based in integrity of the work and service and education and changing the world. It also has a hinge of the ego. So I'm rectifying that by going, you know what? Yes to all of that. I still get to serve. I still get to do all the things that feel really juicy and inspiring and amazing for me and not at the cost of my family. It has to be in the amplification of my family. So how can those two play together at the same time? Again, that's that gray area where I'm still learning what that looks like on a day-to-day basis, but just asking myself every single day, like what matters most today? What do I want to achieve today with my family first? Then what do I want to achieve today for my mission second? And by putting that presence with your family first are you rewriting a generational pattern yeah big time big time like I love 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 my family because my family has inspired so much of who I am today and like what I've created entrepreneurs workaholics immigrant mentality like build 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 go 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 
And I love that I had that model because I learned so much from that. But I also learned that I wanted to be really present with my family because I was ultimately raised by my grandmother because my parents were working all the time. And my parents instilled incredible values and did an amazing job where they could. But still to this day, work is a very strong value to everybody in our family. So for me, it does feel interesting because I am bumping up against a very generational identity, especially in women, which is not traditionally the case for women. So it's interesting because I want my kids to have a different experience where they see that their parents can be in the world doing big things up to an amazing mission, but never at the sake of what matters most to them. It's so interesting to me, the lack of presence, emotional presence from our parents. I know my experience of that, even though I had very physically present parents, actually different to your story, Mm. is that that core wounding for me makes me seek validation from the outside world. It's so interesting because I really have to watch that. And I think with the work that you do and I do, it can be so seductive and alluring because there is so much validation there. And there's no validation at home with the kids. I don't get messages from the kids telling me, that I'm helping them and I'm changing their world. And, you know, like I do from my listeners and my community, how have you unpacked that for yourself? I talk about that actually all the time, especially with my friends, because I'm kind of the first mom in my friend group and we all do similar stuff, but I was the first one. So now they're all starting to have kids and get pregnant. And that's something I talk about a lot is the biggest ego death, the biggest annihilation of that yearning for approval and validation is you're doing the most important job in the world while simultaneously having zero people affirm you for it. <laughs> like it's incredible. It's the most extraordinary thing to do and to hold and like what a responsibility and what a gift. And like, we can tell ourselves that, right. I can talk myself into that idea. However, in the day-to-day moments when you're doing the routines and you know, it's like the feedback loop, (laughs) it's just this endless feedback loop of the same thing with no validation. And as much as my partner is amazing, Preston, my husband is incredible. As much as you can say, you're doing a great job. It's just not the same. (laughs) It's just not the same. So for me, what I'm really doing again, is I'm recognizing like that is the ego death. Parenting motherhood for me is the biggest ego death in the world. And it's my biggest work. It's my greatest challenge, especially being a type A driver. Can I actually be present with the mundane, the small, boring parts about motherhood, the parts where it's so much chaos when my baby girl is crying and my twin starts crying because she's crying. My son is crying because everyone's crying. And it's like, okay, (laughs) woosah, breathe, get present, bring it into the moment. And how can I find joy and pleasure here? And That is something that I will say is a new working for me that I've been working a lot. And I was telling my coach about this yesterday. I'm like, my greatest work right now is finding and creating pleasure in the mundane. Like as I'm doing laundry, as I'm doing dishes, as I'm cooking for the 10th time today, as I'm blending up food into little baby bite-sized things, how can I find and create pleasure and joy and make it a celebration versus a have to? I love what you've said and I think it's so true because the ego loves that instant validation that you get when you post on Instagram when you do a talk when people say but what's interesting about parenting and Dr Shafali said this to me is that 
you don't get to know how you've done until your children are 18. It's like 18 years of invisible giving, 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 questioning. Am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? And then at 18, I think you get to see like when they're independent and then they start to make their own choices. Like where's their esteem at? Where's their decision-making at? Where's their resilience at? There's such a juxtaposition there, isn't there? And the other thing that made me think that you said was Jack Cornfield, who I know you love too, he says first the ecstasy, then the laundry. I wonder if you could unpack a bit more this idea of being present in the moment and maybe tell your Kilimanjaro story because for me that just absolutely talks to what you're talking about with an amazing story. Well, Kilimanjaro still to this day like continues to teach me. I go to Tanzania, first of all, people are like, wow, Kilimanjaro, it's amazing. It's called the roof of Africa. It's the highest freestanding mountain, believe still in the world, but it's the top of Africa. And it happens to be in Tanzania. And Tanzania happens to be the place where I've been going since I was 20 years old with my nonprofit organization to drill clean water wells. And so I think my partner and I, it's like our third year there, we're finally like, hey, we should do Kilimanjaro. Like, this seems really cool. My partner, Tanil and I are like, always love a good challenge. We happen to not be prepared at all for it. Like we didn't train for it. We didn't have the right gear for it. So we're just like, oh yeah, I've got a couple sweaters. Like it's Africa, it's summertime. We'll be fine. Not thinking at all. We're in our twenties. So <laughs> forgive the ignorance of how cold it is at the top of the mountain. So we're on this five-day trek and we're walking through these amazing ecosystems and all this stuff. But we're focused on the top. We're focused on the top of this mountain. It's like, okay, we got to get to the top. We got to get our picture there. We got to do all the things. So we're focused on the top, focused on the top. So there's this beautiful world around us, but we're not really seeing it because we're focused on the top. And you always like, there's always a next place to get to. It's like, okay, we got to get to the next camp. We got to get to the next camp because you're camping alongside this mountain as you're working your way up. So it was always like this future focus, next camp. And that's what's getting us through some harsh conditions. It's cold and the higher you get, it's windy. Like the air bites the skin of your face off. At one point, I literally had frozen boogers on my face for like a solid like 48 hours <laughs> without question. I just couldn't even get them off at that point because my hands were so frozen. I thought I lost a couple toes because I couldn't feel them for a few days. But we finally get to the top of this mountain after five days of just walking. We get to the top. It's extraordinarily beautiful. It's sunrise. Sunrise on the top of Kilimanjaro. It's this magic moment. We take our picture, but before we take our picture, our guide says, okay, we're not going to talk. Nobody's allowed to talk because the air is so thin up here. We don't want you to waste your oxygen. So we can only spend three minutes here. We're going to get our picture. We're going to turn around. No talking. Don't waste your oxygen. We're going to head back down. So we're all like walking so slow. When I tell you how slow because of our energy, our lack of energy, we were just like in slow motion walking to the top of this mountain. We get our picture. We turn around. We head back down. And as we're heading back down, I'm like, five days to get up this mountain for three minutes and a picture. And it just hit me that like, this was my life. I'm like, oh my gosh, my entire life is striving for the top of this mountain. I got to get to the top, got to get to the top, got to get to the top. It's my goal. It's my vision. It's my service. It's my impact, whatever, you know, insert, it's the marriage, it's the babies, it's the car, whatever it is, the body, whatever your goal is, it's like the mountaintop. And yet we have this entire five day long journey, you know, metaphorically speaking, 
where there's this incredible world around us that we're missing because we're so focused on the top. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks because I had all this time to think because we weren't allowed to talk because, you know, up the mountain, we're talking, 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 but down the mountain, you're just conserving energy. And I was just in my head going, oh my gosh, my entire life is the top of Kilimanjaro where I'm trying to get to these like beautiful, brilliant, incredible moments, but I'm missing the whole thing around me. I'm missing the people. I'm missing the relationships. I'm missing the connection to the magic of the trees in my own backyard, to the music that could be animating my moments. Like I'm just missing it because it's so future focused. And again, going back to what we were talking about earlier, whenever it's in the future or the past, it's ego. And the ego wants to hold on to those things because that's how we identify. It's like, okay, if I can hold on to my past story, then I know who I am because if I'm not my past, then who am I? And if I can hold on to this future vision of who I'm desiring to be or what I'm desiring to call in, if I'm not going for that, well, then who am I? And to me, that's motherhood. Motherhood is that conversation day after day after day after day after day because you're like, okay, well, I'm not that person I used to be prior to being a mother. I'm now in the mother archetype and this is a whole new world and new responsibilities. And my brain has completely rewired to only think of my children's safety, right? Like, that's a real thing. My body's changed. It will never be the same again. Even if it might look similar, it feels different because it's done different. And this future version of who I had about who I was going to be and what I was going to step into, it can't exclude my babies because everything has to include the family. That's how our brains work. So the ego goes, well, there's nothing for me to hold on to anymore. Nothing. <laughs> so who am I in this present moment? And that's what I love about Jack Cornfield's work is we go, okay, ecstasy first, then the laundry. Can I bring ecstasy, joy, pleasure to the moment that I'm in, the day one of day five of this journey up the mountain? Can I bring pleasure to it? I find the essence and the magic in the threads of the everyday mundane and bring it as well, like co-create with the moments and say, you know what, this moment may be chaos. It may be crazy. It may be fearful. It may be all the things, but can I bring some magic here? Define myself in the moment instead of defining myself back there or out there. I just sometimes think it's life's cruelest trick is that we get given these egos and these minds that only want to take us out the moment. And yet, in my experience, when I'm able to be in the moment, that's the only place that I actually feel truly happy and at peace. And it's such a cruel trick. It's like, why? <laughs> why? Yeah. So I'm wondering, what for you had to heal in order to become more present? with the mundanity and the stress and the overwhelm of three under three. Because I imagine for someone like you, you have this business constantly, I imagine, on the sidelines, throwing shiny things at you, talks, books, blah, blah, blah. You know, you're very successful. How are you able to say no? Because I feel this at the moment. I'm being asked, you know, I'll be really honest, like loads of publishers are like, I'd love you to write a book. Love you to... And I'm like, oh, this is really shiny. This is on yeah. my vision board. This is a big dream, but it's going to take me away from my girls. And now I know for me, I've got to really be healing my need for validation and where that comes from. And so I'm wondering what you had to heal in order to be present. It's similar to yours. Like my healing ultimately is around 
the fact that I was celebrated as a child for performing, doing really well. I was an overachiever. Every A I got, I got some sort of celebratory mark of the fact that I was smart. Every time I did well in athletics, I was celebrated and praised. And when I did well and performed well, that's when I got my family's attention, right? And again, because they were working and their attention was on providing for the family, all beautiful things, nothing wrong with that. The time I felt the most love was when they went, oh, you're doing great. So my body, my somatic body and my mind go, okay, do great, get love, do great, get love. It's like, do well, get a cookie, do well, get a cookie. And that was my thing, perform cookie. And so I found myself doing it in my relationships, but specifically with my work, it was everywhere. I mean, everywhere. And like you said, like there's so many things on my vision board and things that I've dreamed about doing that. Here's the cookie, here's the cookie. And it's like, Oh yeah. My whole ego goes, Oh, this is how you're going to get more love. See? And it's patterned in my body. Right. And it doesn't mean that it necessarily goes away. Healing doesn't always mean that it's like fixed for good. It means that we have a different relationship with it. And I think, I don't know if this is true for you, but for me, the relationship to that conversation and that wound and that desire for love by performing, now that I have an awareness on it, I can catch it. I can catch it in the act when it wants to come up and lure me into the seduction of another great performance, another opportunity to shine, another opportunity for the world to see how great you're doing and how you've met your goals and you're superseding them. And for me, again, motherhood is the death of that because there's just performing a duty that is almost required, number one, but almost expected. People are like, I don't know if you noticed this in the UK at all, but like here in the States, we have these campaigns around good dads or great dads. It's like, show up to your kid's soccer game and you'll be a great dad. And I remember joking with my friends, this was before I had kids. I'm like, man, all you have to do is show up to a game to be considered a great dad. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, wow, okay, you just have to like be present for five seconds and you're like, wow, you're doing a great job, dad, good job. But a mom, it's like, you could do all the things and people are like, oh, well, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. You know, so there's absolutely no validation or no like celebration or you're performing great because it's expected. It's like, well, yeah, that's what you do. And I think for me, the healing is that relationship of recognizing, oh, here's my little girl wanting to get love from mommy and daddy, wanting to get love from everyone to feel like she's worthy, to feel like she belongs, to feel like she's doing it. But how can I satiate that within myself? And that's my continuous work is like the self-care principle, especially with motherhood, because there's so many other things that feel more important than taking care of myself in my brain. But there's nothing more important than taking care of myself because that feeds the family, that feeds the emotional connection with everything. There's so much that I want to ask you about with what you said. The first thing I want you to pick up on is that you talked about somatically. And I think I love the way that you talk about this because what I see in our industry in coaching and therapy and personal development is a big focus on thinking change your thoughts change your life and that hasn't been my experience and I know you've studied trauma and I have too and it sits in our cells and we can think until the cows come home 
yeah it doesn't make a difference so could you talk to that first and then I think I want to go into compassion because I think yeah. that links Totally. Well, I love that that you want to focus on somatics because I do believe that is like the greatest disservice that the personal development self-help industry has done for humanity. And they've done a lot of great things too. But one of the biggest things is that we train people to think that if you can just change the way you think about something, you can change your entire reality. And while that's true to some percentage, the majority of our life has lived through our body. And I didn't actually feel sustainable transformation in my life until I learned about somatics. And somatics is just working with the wisdom of the body. It's how the body relates to the world. Somatics, in my opinion, is really three stages. Stage one is we work on the body. So it's like, okay, I have a headache. I have pain in my shoulders. My right leg feels like this. That's like stage one somatics. We're doing body work, massage, healing modalities, working on the body. Stage two is working with the body. So at stage two, it's kind of that psychosomatic connection. It's where we go, okay, the brain has thoughts and that's affecting what shows up in the body. So let's connect those two and see what the brain's thinking, seeing how that expresses in the body. So stage two is where we really start to work on like embodiment. Do I embody physically what my brain thinks? And this is the biggest one that is kind of like getting people over the line to deeper healing because I don't know about you, but in my experience, I knew so much for so long because I've been in this work in this world for a really long time. I've done all the courses, read a ton of books. I knew a lot of stuff, but my body wasn't matching up with my knowledge. I meet people like this quite often where they're so smart, they're brilliant. And this was me for a long time. So I could spit off all the the quotes and all the things and very memeable life, (laughs) you know, but my body, my essence wasn't aligned with this. It wasn't matching. And so in stage two, when we're working with the body, we're saying, okay, how does the body show up in the world? Is it the expression of who we think we are? Or is it a fraction of that? And this is what we mean when we say somebody's fully expressed. You feel them just being authentically themselves. It doesn't mean that they're perfect and they're beautiful and they're a goddess dancing around and flowy things. It means that they're just honestly themselves. And that's what embodied means. It's like full honesty and it matches here, here and here, body to mind. Now stage three, and this is the one that I'm deep in the practice right now personally, is when we're working through the body. And through the body means we're working with the energy that animates the body, that animates the body in the world, because the body is our connection point to our family, our food, our senses, you know, the weather. I mean, everything we do is felt through the body. So if I'm not connecting to the presence of life and the energy force that animates the life within my body, I'm actually missing out on the greatest healing ever. And so working through the body for me means really getting in that present moment. Can I connect with that, which is greater than me and animating through this physical vessel of mine so that I can really feel myself fully alive, not just in my head where I'm thinking, oh, I'm alive. I'm breathing. My heart's beating, but I can feel the aliveness in my body. I can feel life happening through me and as me. And that is when, for me, I feel really turned on not turn on in a sexual way, but turn on in like a, wow, I'm activated. Like I'm fully here. I'm so here and I'm in love with my life and I'm in love with this moment, even though it's crazy, it doesn't make sense. And there's no answers and there's no future outcome. I'm just here and it's perfect. And that's my work is that stage three level of somatics. I'm with you on the stages and I'm with you on 
having glimpses of that truly higher power I call it embodiment in the moment oh god imagine being able to be there more I wanted to pick up on something that you talked about which was that you had all the knowledge because I think we live in a world today where it's so easy to consume 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 and Instagram now I think is brilliantly becoming awash with self-development therapists getting gazillion followers and I think it's incredible but also I think it's really overwhelming and I love how you talk about see if you can just take one idea yes and apply it to your life yeah the ego doesn't like that the ego you to do all the courses and all the books and you know all the trainings you know I was exactly the same and I actually saw Mastin Kip talk on this and he was pretty punchy and we were at a Hay House event and he's like most of you here are spiritual tourists he was like harsh and I was like I think I'm a spiritual tourist as in like I'm just flowing he's talking to me (laughs) because at the time I was like a sponge I just wanted all of it but I wasn't actually doing enough of the work can you talk to your experience around that yeah and it's why at the end of every single podcast episode I record on my podcast I talk about that like just apply take one idea like there's a lot of ideas and even in this conversation there's going to be a lot of ideas that hit and make your body feel something and have you feel inspired but just take one idea and practice living that, embodying that, trying it on, analyzing it. How does this show up in my life? How do I relate to this? Where's my edge on this? That to me is the most profound work you can do because it's deep. It's deep work. And you're absolutely right. We live in a very consumer-driven, consumer-focused society where we get everything on Amazon very quickly and we want more and products, they're designed to last two seconds. So we buy more and our personal development and our knowledge is the same. (laughs) It's very similar where it's like, okay, yeah, give me more. Okay. I got that. What's the next one? And our ego wants to have all of the things, all the ideas so that when we hit a conversation or we're getting interviewed on a podcast, we can drop those gems and sound really impressive to our friends and do the beautiful Instagram quote with a caption where people are like, wow, this is amazing. It's inspired me. You're so impactful. But are we actually living it? And I would venture to say that 99.9% of the people who are talking about things are not actually fully living it. Maybe to some degree, yes, but fully. And it's not to say that you have to live it fully before you talk about it, but why not challenge yourself to that? Like, have I embodied this practice yet? Have I embodied this idea yet? And if I haven't, don't move on. (laughs) Like, Don't just keep moving on to the next thing. Take it and work it. And Something I love to do that my husband and I do is we have essentially like a book a year and we read a lot of books in between and we're constantly doing research for our work, but we have one book a year that we sit with and we'll like open up a page and we'll read. Sometimes it's the same page seven days in a row and it's like, okay, let me take this deeper. I think I get it, but maybe where am I missing it? I may look in this area of my life and to go deep with one concept is extraordinary. And it's the simplest thing, but to me, that's the greatest work. And it's the greatest challenge for most people because again, the ego is not going to get validated in that. It's not, but who you will become for spending time with a concept and really choosing to relate with it in a different and new way. That's the win. The win is not that you're more impressive to your friends. It's that you're more impressive to yourself. And that's something I'm getting the older I get is like, 
who cares what people think about me? Like, I care what I think about me. You know, like, I just want to like look in the mirror and be like, damn, I'm really proud of you. It was hard. What a hard week. What a hard year. What a hard month. You know, what a hard transition. And how you be with it, how you show up to it, how you go deeper with it and you allow it to work itself into you. You allow those lessons to permeate your being. Like that's the magic is that you become a better human. You become more authentically yourself. You become more dropped in and humble and just connected to life. And like, that's the win. Not that you have more Instagram followers and you have a more awesome feed, (laughs) you know, like cool, great byproduct, but that's not what we're going for here. What's your book for 2020? So my book for this year is The Power of Now, which feels so apropos (laughs) because, hi, like pick that out in January and it's like, oh, thank you universe for providing me this gift. (laughs) No exaggeration. I've probably read it eight times. Yeah, same. It's a great book. And I have all my students read it and like I've gone through it. I've had it a part of my book club. I've done all the things with it, but I haven't sat with it for a year yet. The thing, the thing I think about that book and that concept actually is that living, if I was able to truly live the presence of now, I would have no problems because in the now, there is no problem. But it's a well, life's work because my mind never wants me to be there. Ever. Again, like our ego, not that it's a bad thing, but... Our ego holds on to the past to identify ourselves so we feel safe. And then our ego holds on to this idea of the future to give the ego something to hold on to because in the now moment, the ego doesn't exist. The ego is not necessary in the now moment. And what a powerful concept. And you're absolutely right. It's most of our life's work, unless you're fully enlightened and whatever. I still think at that point, the human being has the ego. We can't supersede it. It comes with a car. (laughs) It's like the steering wheel. It comes with a car. But if we can learn how to get past it in those small moments, even if it's just for one tiny blip in the radar per day, to me, that's a win. It's like, okay, I was able to get past it. I was able to rise above it. I was able to not even think about it because I was just so lost in a moment. And that's the win is that I got to be lost in a moment. Not that I got over my ego, but that I got to be lost in a moment. Like that's what being alive is about, right? Mm-hmm. So it is such a gift and such a beautiful book for me this year. Wow, what a book to choose. And don't you think that we need that humanness? We need the triggers. Well, I do. I know I need the triggers and the pain to keep me coming back to growth. If I was able to just bump along, like without being triggered and without all my stuff coming up, I honestly don't think that I'd be into the growth thing because I would have no incentive. So actually being in that very human place of discomfort and tension and some of the things that we've talked about, I work hard to reframe as a gift because it takes me back to, okay, how can I use this? So I'm wondering, you know, you've just had twins. You've now got three under three. What triggers are coming up for you. Oh. You know, it's interesting. I want to say the majority of my triggers are in my relationship. Well, let's Usually. go there. Happy yeah. to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel really fortunate. Like I don't have a lot of the body triggers a lot of women have. You know, my stomach certainly doesn't look like how it used to look, but I'm like, whatever, my body does something really cool. And I, I genuinely believe that. I think the biggest triggers that come up for me personally with having two is 
like, again, how can I be present in moments of like pure chaos where like the house is just exploding with noise and like this baby needs me, this baby needs me. And then my toddler needs me. And I only have two hands and I'm like, <laughs> like those are the triggers where it's like, okay, I could go into anxiety. I can go into panic and overwhelm. But how do I breathe and like get grounded and choose intentionally choose in this moment. But the triggers that get me that like get under my skin it's my husband, 100% my husband. And I do that for him too, for sure. But the gift is with him and I, and it's actually like, it's why I have three rings. You know, people ask, oh, you have three rings. Like, what's that about? The one ring is the engagement ring in the middle. And then the two bands represent each of our commitments to ourselves, to be in the work for ourselves. And it represents that I am committed to working me to being the best me, to marrying myself and being committed to myself in such a way that's so fierce and so honest and so raw and so gut-wrenching sometimes when we don't want to do it, but I'm committed to that. And so is he. And so the gift in those triggers doesn't mean that we don't have our explosions and fights happen because they do, but the gift is, is in those moments, I have the anchor of like, okay, I know he's committed to his greatest self and his greatest evolution as am I. So even if we're not talking for 12 hours, I know that when we come back, he's going to have done the work that he needs to do for himself and vice versa. And like, that feels really good. And it doesn't mean that we're committed. We're always going to be forever, forever, forever. We're committed to the now moment and whatever that requires of us. And that to me feels really honest and sincere, but yeah, the greatest trigger is like, not feeling like he's doing all the things I want him to do, you know, to help out around the house or not asking it or including me in things that he does with his friends that I can't do because I'm with the kids, you know, like little things like that. The most basic human stuff is like, um, I want to feel included, even though I probably can't come. Can you invite me? (laughs) Well, I wanted to talk to you about invisible labor. Because you strike me as having a very conscious marriage. I know you've studied with the Gottman Institute. You know, I know you've written this book together. So it's interesting to me to hear, because that's my experience. Like, I think we're in a pretty conscious marriage. But still, I find myself doing a lot of the heavy lifting, a lot of the invisible labor, a lot of the day in, day out, and getting quite resentful about it. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. And here's what I love about this conversation, because I feel like everybody needs to hear this. This is like public service announcement. Conscious relationships do not mean that your shit doesn't come up. It means that your shit comes up and you're aware of what it's connected to. (laughs) Like, that's all it means, you know? And like, that's something that for me, I had to really rewrite my programming around being with a conscious partner and like having a conscious relationship. Cause I had this almost fairy tale esque idea of like, when you find the right conscious partner, things will just work and you'll like be able to communicate about all the things in, in an effective way that feels easy and graceful. And a lot of my big resistance in our relationship was my resistance to the idea that there would be resistance and that there would be like tension and struggle and power dynamics. But what I've learned and have been so humbled by is that conscious partnership just means that you have an extra light bulb and a stronger attention and intention around what comes up and how to be with that. I will say in my experience with Preston, we happen to attract each other so perfectly because we happen to also trigger all of the deepest wounds in each other. <laughs> like 
like the deepest, like the realest, most deepest wounds that we both have that like we came to this earth plane to heal. We attracted the partner that's like, oh, hi, I'm just going to be a mirror for that all the time. <laughs> Don't you wish everyone knew that? I wish everyone knew this because honestly, Guy and I nearly got divorced in our first year of marriage. And thank God we saw this therapist who said, Zoe, this is your wound, your deepest wound. This is your deepest wound. You're triggering each other because your soul wants healing. And we were like, oh, I was like, oh, I thought we were going to have to split up <laughs> because it was so painful. Right. But most people think, oh, it's you. It's my partner. And even if we are responsible and we go, okay, it's me. Then we go, but it's, it's how I'm relating to this person. So maybe it's the dynamics off. And sometimes it is, but something that I learned along the way, and I forget where I heard this, but it's so true is that human beings are actually not compatible. Like nobody's compatible. If you're a human being, you're not compatible with anybody because you have, you're a system your world, your universe with all these things happening. There's explosions that happen sometimes. There's new planets that are being discovered. There's black holes. You know, there's all sorts of things that occur within our universe. And to think that my universe is just going to perfectly match up with anybody, including my friends, my partner, my children is delusional. It's delusional. And I fell into that delusion for a really long time. Like, oh, my soulmate. Oh, the one, you know, whatever. And it's like, no, we're two different people with two different worlds and two different conversations and two different paths and two different woundings and two different trauma bodies. And they're all interplaying with each other and going, okay, how do we do this thing? Let's try and this isn't on. It's so hard when you throw kids into the mix. I mean, I've never understood it when people say, oh, we're going to have a child as a sticking plaster for the relationship. I'm like, no, worst idea ever. (laughs) Surely, from my experience, as we had children, everything came up that wasn't working in the relationship. It was like this huge, big, fat mirror. It's amplification of everything. Well, I think that's why the divorce rate is highest in the first year of parenthood. Yep, 67% of all couples get divorced in the first year of parenthood. I joke with Preston, I'm like, they should have something like if you decide to have a child, you should sign a contract where you're like, all right, we're going to get through 12 months of this, no matter where it goes, no matter how hard it is, we're committing to not even talking about divorce or like you suck or I'm annoyed by you until 12 months. (laughs) Maybe that should be three years just to be guaranteed a full night's sleep. And then you can work out whether actually you're meant to be together. (laughs) Don't be sleep deprived before you have these conversations. It's so interesting. And I also joke with my friends who are females who are getting pregnant. I'm like, it's like the joke of God, the universe, source, spirit is like, all right, I'm going to give you this really awesome little human. The survival of this awesome little human depends on you. And simultaneously, I'm going to make your relationship the hardest that it's ever been at the same time that you're sleep deprived, worried about taking care of and keeping a human being alive at the same time where you're learning parenthood for the first time. How do I do this thing? (laughs) And I'm going to make it really hard where you're like kind of repelled by your partner for the first few months after birth. You know, it's like, "Ah, don't touch me. It's the most hilarious catch 22 ever. The design on this could be reworked a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, And everything from your childhood is going to come up. That's what I think just doesn't get. It's partly why I started the podcast, if I'm honest, because I felt like that was just missing from the whole narrative. Yeah. Everything came up. I thought I was pretty, you know, I was like, I'm on my path. I was 10 years into my healing. You know, I'm sober. I'm doing all this stuff. And then had Jesse, my now nearly five-year-old, and it it felt like starting again. Really did. And I was just like, there was no conversation about it. Like, 
Shafali touched on it a bit. There was a few random tiny podcasts in the States. I was like, this is a massive chasm. It's huge. It's huge. And I do think there's this idea in motherhood and in the journey of parenthood even. I'm going to lump dads into this too because I've experienced this with my husband and a lot of my friends who are fathers that you're just supposed to be so grateful and it's supposed to be the most amazing time. And like anything outside of that conversation is like, oh no, you must be a bad parent if you're not feeling like the most amazing thing in the world. My midwife, who's amazing, she helped me birth my son and we did a home birth, my first child. She said to me before I had given birth, this was like early on in my pregnancy, she says, this is a ceremony. And if you've done any sort of like plant medicine or like deep ceremonies, Vipassana, anything that like requires you to go beyond the limits of your mind, it's scary. And there is death involved and grief involved and dark black chasms that you have to explore. And when she said that, I got it because I've done some of those things where I've taken myself out of this physical world and it's scary. And she said, birth and motherhood is a ceremony. And I keep reminding myself of that. It's like, this is a ceremony that doesn't mean that it's easy. Doesn't mean that it's always perfect. It also means that there are going to be these rough moments. And especially it's a ceremony for the little boy or little girl within you that never got parenting the way that you did it. And like, can you rectify those pieces within yourself? Can you heal those pieces within yourself while being a parent to your own child? Like, can you parent yourself through this process? And every opportunity in the world comes up all the time, no matter how much healing we've done, no matter how freaking enlightened we are, no matter how many books we've read, the opportunity is always there for us to heal and to rectify those pieces of our past with our present. Well, I love that you say that. I sometimes joke that I have three children. I mean, it sounds so woo-woo, but I mean, I don't care at this point. You know, I have Jesse, Rose, and my inner child, and I'm parenting all three of us. What does that look like for you practically? I know you love to get practical, and that's what I love about your work. What does that actually look like for you, that reparenting piece? So for me, it's really like realizing what is the deepest wound for me? What's the thing that I never got from my parents that I feel like I needed? Sometimes it's one thing and it's glaringly obvious. Sometimes it's one thing that shows up and manifests as like 10 little minor things that feel smaller. For me, it was really like a feeling of safety and love no matter what. You are safe. You are loved no matter what, no matter how you show up, no matter how you perform and you're safe, meaning not that I wasn't in a safe environment, but things were always kind of up in my family. My parents divorced early. There was a lot of tension and tumultuous stuff happening there. So things were always up. It was always uncertain. Like, are things going to be good today or are they going to be a little unstable? And I had to show up as the peacemaker to kind of like satiate that need within myself. But now how do I create a sense of felt safety within myself, a sense of unapologetic, just no bounds type of love for myself, where it's like, no matter how you show up today, Lex, if you get nothing done, you're killing it. <laughs> you know, if you, if you haven't done 9 million podcasts and batched all this content, like you said, you were going to do, you're still amazing. Like, can I show up for myself in that way? And then can I honor that process within my own children? Because for me, like I'm seeing how projecting and parenting is so easy. It's like, oh, I can project who I want my child to be, who I think they are based on 
a few moments or like their personality, can I leave a clean slate for them to be welcomed in every single day? And that's hard for me because there's certain things like with my son, Kingston, he's two and a half and his personality is like fully online right now. His language is coming on. So I really am getting into his world now. And it's interesting because I feel myself projecting like, oh, here's who he is. And like, here's the type of guy he's going to be. And it's like, no, give him a clean slate to be whoever he is in this moment today and know that it's going to change tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So that for me has been a challenge, but has been really beautiful. So finding those wounds within myself, how can I provide that sense of whatever I felt was missing for me and doing something daily is really powerful. Right now, like a sense of felt safety, because that shows up in my relationship with Preston, of course, because that's my childhood wounding, (laughs) of course. It's like, can I provide a sense of felt safety for me and like groundedness? So what I do is I just do breath work and like feel my body and feel myself rooted in my body. I feel my heart expanding. I just feel my body because I feel safe here. And I don't need anything external to tell me I'm safe because it's my body. It's internal. It's like, can I feel safe within my body with nothing changing on the outside? So that's my practice for that. And then the unapologetic, I love you no matter what is literally like just telling myself, you killed it today, Lex. Like, I'm so proud of you. You showed up powerfully for yourself. You showed up powerfully for your babies and you got up today. What a gift. You're a gift just because you got up today. Just affirming that for myself. It's as simple as that. Do you feel guilty? All the time. (laughs) I think mom guilt like comes with a car. Do you think? I do because maybe not for everybody. I'll say this for every type A woman I've encountered, coached, is in my life in whatever way. Mom guilt shows up because there's like this split of the personality where it's like, this matters the most to me and is everything to me. And like, I want to be here for this. And there's this part of my life and my soul, like we talked about earlier, that has something to do. And I feel guilty that I even have that. Like, why should I shouldn't even need that? And you find the guilt at every level. Like for instance, right now I'm, I'm looking out the window, I'm watching our nanny play outside in the grass with the twins. I'm here with you, right? I'm here with you, but she just walked outside. She just crossed my window. And there's a part of me that's like, I should be with my babies. <laughs> you know, it's like, I shouldn't need to be on a podcast, but then there's the part of me that's like, yes, you do. You need that. You deserve that. That needs to come through. You're going to support other people. There might be one person listening, but there's a part of me. I can't deny it. I could sit here and be like, it doesn't show up for me, but it does. Where I see my babies or I hear them crying in the background. It's like, oh, stop whatever you're doing and go, go be with them. That's your job. Yeah. I think it shows up for me too. You know, it really does. But I'm just so fascinated in it. I'm getting more and more fascinated by it because I don't know if it's handed down for us. I don't know if it's part of the patriarchy. I don't know if it's biological that we should be with our children all the time for those first seven years. I really don't know any answers, but I just think it's fascinating how every single woman that I speak to, and there's a study by Harvard that the guilt of the same of a stay-at-home mum, full-time mum, and a working mother is the same. So it's not about whether we're going to work or not. The guilt's ever-present. Yeah. So maybe what it is, and I'd be curious to look this up, I'm like really into studying the brain, and it's so interesting. The things that we deem as like normal societal things, a lot of time it's like the wiring in our brains for survival. So I wonder if it has something to do with that, where it's like, I forget where this was. I heard a study about based on survival, like our caveman, cavewoman brain. If our child wasn't like directly within three feet of us, 
something could have happened. Like a tiger could have pounced on them. A hawk could come down and take them. And so when you're in another room and I was telling Preston this because it's, you know, when you're looking at the baby monitor, but you can hear them, he's like, why do you do you torture yourself? And I'm like, cause I have to make sure they're okay. And it's like this thing. It's like this physiological, psychological, it's this whole urge within me that I can't help. It consumes me. It's like, I have to make sure they're okay. And maybe it's something like that where our brains are wired to go. You have to be with your baby because a tiger might come get them. You have to be with them. And if somebody else is with them and something happens, you'll never forgive yourself. And that's your job. And men don't get it because Rose, our 10 month old, can be crying and guy can be like, oh, I'm just going to finish making this cup of tea and then I'll go and see her. And I'm like, my whole body literally feels like it's being turned inside out. And I yeah. am like sprinting. He's like, she's fine. Like, she's just woken up. She's going to put the dummy. And I'm like, no, like the visceral yeah. reaction of her crying, which is why I think sleep training is so confusing for women who have been sold that idea because it does go against our totally. biology and in a weird way, but Charlotte Freud, I'm pleased to hear that you have the guilt too, because I was wondering around the way that you live. And I know you're so conscious and you have done so much healing and studying and training. It's fascinating to me that it's present with you too. It's, so it's not about values and it's not about honoring our choices. Cause I know that's how you live and that's how I live. And yet we both still have it. I think we've been sold this idea as mothers and as women in general, and I don't know where it comes from, but I believe that we've been sold this idea that there's like some perfect mountaintop to get to as a mother or some perfect mountaintop as a woman to get to where you're like perfectly in your feminine and perfectly in your masculine. And you're this for your partner in the bedroom and you're this for the people in the boardroom. And it's like, it's killing us. It's killing us. And I feel like the expectation to try and live into some randomized idea that's been sold to us, that's what's killing us. That's what's holding us back. That's what's creating postpartum depression. Like that is the issue. And I think the more honest that each and every one of us can be in our conversations with the women in our life, with the men in our life, with people in general, if you have a platform on your platform, the more honest we can be about the process of life in general, not just motherhood, but life, the more honest we are, the more it normalizes things and the less we punish ourselves for not like living some ideal conscious version of who we're supposed to be. Because at the end of the day, we're all human. We're going to have our human moments. Our reptilian brain is going to kick in. Our bodies all hold trauma. No matter how much work you've done around that trauma, your trauma body is going to show up. And then it's just a matter of like, can you bring yourself back into regulation? Can you bring yourself back into your now, into your center, into your groundedness, into your safety, release all the expectations of what you're supposed to be and what it's supposed to look like. And you should know this by now because you've read all the books and done all the seminars and just say, here's where I'm at. There's a lesson here. What's the lesson for me? And what do I choose? That for me, the normalization of the human messy gray area in life has been the biggest gift because it's like, oh, I don't have to be perfect. (laughs) Well, what you just described, the noticing, the self-compassion and the choosing, for me, that is it. Like, that's it. For me, there's nothing else than that, really. And anything else is just my ego that wants to, like you say, be able to spout big words and concepts and theories, which I can. But actually, it's those three things. Can I see it? Can I hold it with love? And can I have some awareness to make a choice? 
you know, people want tools or like, I need tools. It's the simplest, but the most profound tool in the world is that. And if you can take that and be relentless with that in your life, because you're going to have opportunities every day, a thousand times a day, Preston and I, in our work, we say life keeps lifing. Life doesn't care that you've read a bunch of books and done a bunch of seminars. Life is going to keep lifing. And then it's how you choose to show up to that and recalibrate yourself when the body wants to go into the trauma response is how you handle it. And that's it. And we'll have plenty of opportunities every single day to lean into that. So right. And I always ask the same question at the end of every conversation. I cannot wait to hear your answer, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would that one gift be and why? Allowing life's messiness to be a part of your joy because life will always be messy. It will never go to plan. It will never be perfect. And motherhood for me is the constant reminder that even though you set up everything perfectly for a podcast interview, there will be a leaf blower showing up in the last 10 minutes right outside your window. And like motherhood is that. So if we can laugh at that and kind of find an internal giggle around the cosmic joke, this is what happens. That's everything. Because again, we take the pressure off of it having to be perfect and us having to be super moms. And we just go, you know what? I'm human. I'm learning. And that's beautiful. That's so perfect. Thank you, leaf blower. It's so perfect. Right? I'm like, yes. (laughs) This conversation has been so powerful for me. Thank you. You mentioned your community. Where can someone connect with you? What work are you doing right now? Well, I don't run Soul School anymore, which I love Soul School, but I put it on pause. But really the best place to connect with me is on my podcast. So I've got a podcast called Unleashed with Alexi Panos. I love having real, honest, raw conversations about all the things. And that's the best place to really dive into my world. I've got tons of videos on YouTube for anybody that wants to dive deeper. I've got my book, 50 Ways to Yay, a book with my husband, Now or Never. And then once the world opens back up, My husband and I run experiential somatic-based workshops called The Bridge and Extreme Leadership. And those are phenomenal. I recommend everybody do it because the whole get of our workshop is that it's a game that your ego can't beat. So you see who you are in that space. It's really powerful. Like even if Preston and I took our workshop, we would not be able to beat it. I want to come and do it with Guy. I want to do it with my husband. And here's a leaf blower literally directly in front of me right now, reminding us all that nothing is ever perfect. Nothing will ever go to plan. And yet it is all perfect and timely and amazing and joyful at the same time. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. So that was the episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it. As ever, if you did, please consider sharing it with your friends and leaving me a review on iTunes. It really does make a difference to the number of mums that we can reach with the brilliant wisdom of the guests I have on. Also, just a reminder about the Family Reset Plan. It's my latest offering to parents. I think that we are living in probably the challenge of our lifetimes. Well, definitely so far. And as parents, we not only have to support ourselves, we also have to support our children. And that is a lot. So the Family Reset Plan is myself and two brilliant psychologists 
and we give you step-by-step, -step, simple, applicable ways that you can support yourself emotionally to feel stronger, calmer, and therefore to support your children in a different way. It's all grounded in psychology and neuroscience. It's just £25 currently. And if you work for the NHS, it is totally free for you. So check out the website, familyresetplan.co.uk. Take care. I'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Lauren. And I'm Nicole. And if you enjoy this show, you will love our podcast, Self Care Club. Every week, we trial a different form of self-care and report back on the results. We've tried everything from cuddle therapy, setting boundaries, laughter yoga, and many more. Two friends who rarely agree on anything. Testing out the world of self-care so you don't have to. We've even written a book dedicated to self-care practices that cost you nothing. You can listen to Self Care Club wherever you get your podcasts. Or to purchase our book, search Have You Tried This on Amazon.